But there is something different about writing down your story in a book. It feels more permanent. There's a season when those stories are ready to be told and a season when they're maybe too soon and too premature or whatever. But yeah, for me, it felt like I had to be real about that. In fact, I just don't know that I would have had the passion to to have the conversations about curiosity and doubt if all these years, if it hadn't been my experience. Hey there, and welcome to Pastoring with Words. I'm Daryl Ibe. In this episode, Steph O'Brien joins me for a conversation about her latest book, Stay Curious. Pastor Steph co-hosts the Lead Stories podcast and is a pastor at Mill City Church in the heart of Minneapolis. It's such a privilege to sit down and chat to Steph. So make sure you grab a tea or coffee, get comfy and enjoy. Well, thanks, Steph, for joining us today. Such an awesome opportunity to just sit down and chat with you about uh, sort of your latest book that's come out, Stay Curious, which came out last year. That's right. Yep. Yep. September 2019. One of the, the things that I loved in it was that it really shows this arm wrestle that goes on between the, the Christendom and post-Christendom sort of switch. Um, now there's a difference between the U S and Australia. We're probably more towards the, the post Christendom end than I think mm-hmm. many parts of the U S, but can you give me a context of, of what's happening in ministry for you and, and where you're up to in, in that sort of situation? Yeah, they, I would agree. I think that we're, as a country, the United States is probably still on the tail end of where Australia, certainly Europe is. Um, however, I am in a pretty post-Christian part of the U.S. in um, an urban center in Minneapolis in the northern part of the U.S. And so even if you drive 15 minutes from my house, you'll find more Christendom than if you are in the neighborhood where I serve. Um, so, you know, we we don't know for sure with statistics and stuff, but Having been a church planter here, um, we planted the church about 13 years ago. And um, having been in the city all this time in this particular part of the city, I have been recognizing, I I would say it's probably 10% or less people are participating in a local church here in this part of the city. Like I said, if you you drive a little ways out into the suburbs um, in our part of the of the city, you'd find a different scenario. So it's it's kind of like I'm on the tip of the of the spear here a little bit with this transition, and um, and has really given me a great opportunity to learn and understand and almost be like a sociologist, missiologist for sure in that space. And so um, as far as things go with with my community, you know, I. Um, we're urban, so that's going to already give a different dynamic to church. Um, it's not, you're not going to have a lot of big, you know, mega churches here in the urban center where there would be still in the suburban areas here in Minnesota, the northern, yeah. northern of the U.S. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, my, my community has a lot of people who I would, I would say are, are de-churched, re-churched. So they maybe left, left faith for a while or left practicing their faith, um, you know, religiously, so to speak maybe had grown up in a different context. And then they're kind of either giving it a try again, or maybe this is their last stop before they leave. Then again, I would just say probably one of the biggest areas of diversity in my my church is is spiritual background. So we've got folks who've grown up Pentecostal to, to you know, Lutheran to 
Baptist and uh, Catholic to growing up with uh, in an agnostic home, atheist home, and everything in between. And so it really that that is that is also a sign of post Christendom that there's that much diversity in a space there. And so I don't I don't enter into my context with too many assumptions, you know, about what people think or know because it's pretty diverse. And I I think it's it's encouraged me and others in my preaching and teaching to to really try to explain things plainly. And that's what I tried to do and stay curious as well. It's just to say, well, how could, can we just talk about these things with as much language that anybody would understand as possible? And and uh, this the book is definitely written to folks who are starting to starting to move into that post-Christian space or who already are. Just what you were saying with that 15 minute drive sort of reflects in the book, you really narrow down on that sort of quick question, short answer part that so much of our faith has relied on for so long and yet yep. it doesn't yeah. satisfy our souls does it no yeah that concept of a catechism mm. which is which has been around for a long time you know it's not a new thought and i can understand why people might want to sum up some of the bigger questions of life into a smaller sentence you know maybe like a bite-sized chunk where you can swallow it but i think when you get into the deeper questions in life yeah it doesn't quite satisfy and there's more to unpack there at the very least. And uh, I think that that's where our faith can really become very vibrant. But if those statements feel as though they have a period at the end of the sentence when maybe there should be an ellipsis, you know, dot, 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 or a semicolon, so we can get into a little bit deeper, um, I do think it, it feels stifling to folks so they don't step into some of that space of mystery and, and an expansion of their understanding of who God is. Yeah, mystery is a great word to describe so much of, of what the book's about, um, the mystery of God and how we can't really come to know the depths of who he is. I think that right. if we were to ever come to know a God that we could fully understand and comprehend, then we've kind of superseded him to begin with. Right. And that that would be a tragic thing, really. And so I think so, too. And so the book gives us permission to ask questions and express doubts, not only of God, but also about ourselves right. and the faith community around us. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty scary and risky thing, I think, for a pastor to write down to give permission to, to people to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> explain to me what was going on there. You know, I think I just... Um... I, th I think that a combination of my experience and my research just really brought me to a place where I would just rather see folks ask those questions and come to that more vibrant place and that deeper understanding of their faith, which, you know, some research has really shown that if people wrestle through questions and doubts and go through things like, um, you know, what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul or other things like that, that the other side of that, the, the far side of complexity, some people would call it, is a place that's just not unlike anything else. And I think uh, I want that for the people that I lead. And I know that until they wrestle through some of the harder things in life, including questions and doubts, that they're less likely to experience that kind of life to the full that Jesus you know, promises that we have in him. And so I, I think, you know, someone, some people have asked me that, you know, aren't you afraid that people are going to doubt their faith and question and wonder about the, these things? And I think at this point now, I'm more afraid that they won't. Yeah. Because I so much want that for people. And the even the transition into post-Christendom, I think, is a, a symptom of that, is uh, this reality of the, the, it's not so much that I didn't have all the answers to my questions, but that there weren't room for my questions in the first place. I think that's part of the, the 
um, you know, migration out of, of Christianity and faith for some folks is just this sense of, sure, some people doubted and then left because they came to the conclusion there was no God or the Christian God wasn't true in their mind. But I think even more people made their way out because before they could even get at the heart of their questions, they figured they figured out either explicitly or implicitly that their faith community was not a space where questions were welcome. And so for me as a pastor, uh, creating that space for folks over these last 13 years has only shown that more people stepping deeper into relationship with Jesus, while there has been some who've left the faith for sure, I wouldn't want to trade that for the folks who did find a deeper understanding and experience of their faith. Of course, there's that as a pastor, I don't want to give people the answers. I want to help them ask good questions and to, to ask questions in ways that are productive and in a process oriented way so that it doesn't turn into a, I call it like a spinning off of disillusionment, but rather like a, a endurance to, to press deeper into things that really matter. And I know that means some people might come to conclusions that, that, that faith isn't, this isn't the faith for them and things like that. But I personally also, I guess I would just say, I trust the Holy spirit. And I believe that if people are open to God's spirit, the spirit convicts, the spirit pursues and, uh, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And so I just trust that. And I see the spirit moving people's lives in ways that have nothing to do with me. And so even if someone does make a journey away from faith or faith communities or whatever that journey is, I just pray and entrust them to God's spirit as well. So, so I don't want to like push anybody off of, off of a, you know, a cliff of, of questioning and skepticism or anything like that. I, I just, I do think that that, that what happens when there's not really a, a genuine healthy space for questions is usually actually apathy or a real sense of uh, being cynical. And so to me, the, the curiosity, even a healthy skepticism is very different than cynicism. And cynicism and apathy are like kissing cousins or something. So I, I think to me, it, it's a reality that if you create that space, I think people end up stepping into it. If you create a healthy environment for that, it's more likely that folks can stay in curiosity and not get lost in a pit of cynicism and despair, even if there is some seasons where we all go through that. I know I have as well gone through that cynical seasons for sure. It's kind of on a cycle, you know, maybe right now for a lot of us, we're in that because of the, the circumstances, but <laughs> there's, there's hope there too. <laughs> yeah. The book really wouldn't be complete if you didn't share your own story as well. Yeah. And there is this beautiful balancing act that you take between faith and fear and doubt and the wrestling between it, all three of those and how that's affected your relationship with God. Yeah. You know, I, as an author, so I, this is my first time writing a book. I've written some, you know, blogs and I have a podcast and I, you know, have, have been obviously sermons these days are going to go all over the internet, but there is something different about writing down your story in a book. It feels more permanent. <laughs> so yeah. there's definitely an aspect to it. And I think like with a lot of things in life, I just really think there's a season when those stories are ready to be told and the season when they're maybe too soon and too premature or whatever. But, um, and certainly whenever the story involves somebody else, you know, making sure that it's a careful time to share that. But yeah, for me, it felt like I had to be real about that. In fact, I just don't know that I would have had the passion to, to have the conversations about curiosity and doubt if it, all these years, if it hadn't been my experience. And I, probably wouldn't have been somebody that a lot of people sought out, first of all. And then if those conversations hadn't happened, I certainly wouldn't have written the book because in a lot of ways, the book is the result of thousands of conversations with people over the years. And so um, I think being honest and starting even off with my own story 
is very true to my personality and who I am. And, you know, I always say, I think everybody, everybody lives out loud at different, in different ways, but some people live at a louder volume. And I think I've, I'm a louder volume person, you know, <laughs> put stuff on the internet and things like that. But everyone's just got to be true to themselves. And it's not a requirement. Authenticity does not require putting stuff on the internet or putting things in books. But for me, it felt like a very true to myself to say, hey, look, let's talk about some of my church baggage. And I mean, I think one of the stories I tell starts when I'm six years old and some of the experiences I had in my church growing up and, you know, talking about losing my dad at 17 and watching Billy Graham come in the room and pray for him. And I'm not even sure how much detail I got into that, but you know, that there's just, I had, these are real things. This is not like a cute idea to me. This is real life. And um, there's been a number of times when I thought maybe I don't want to be a part of this church thing anymore because of the way these Christians are acting. And just to come to conclusions about that, quick enough to realize of my own hypocrisy and my own issues and my own yeah. brokenness. And that's all real stuff. And, um, and I, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't know, I've read a lot of other authors and the people I feel the most connected to are the ones who show their humanness and their messiness and are just honest about what it looks like. And I think too, there's just a sense of authority that those folks have in my life when I know they've been through it too. So it was an easy choice to, to figure out how to share as much of my story as I could. It would have been incomplete or felt insincere without those. So it's very much richer for having that in, but it would have still been. I'm so glad. Yeah. It would have been a a very difficult decision to know what to include and what not to. At one point you share about having a therapist, struggling at times (laughs) with depression, some things that, yep you know, pastors don't necessarily want to be known for. Um, Mm -hmm. So how does that selection process happen with you filtering in and out? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, um, I always have a lot of people read things before, you know, before it's public too, just to kind of be a good gauge with me. So I think that's always wise for anyone sharing their story is just having some conversation partners to talk it over with and um, and I, I think I started sharing some of those things in smaller settings where I could engage around them and learn how to talk about them in ways that would be helpful and not just alarming. Because I do think when people get maybe too, when a, something that's like a, has a stigma attached to it is brought up, it can really be distracting. And um, I think for me, uh, one of the things that I felt that that God's given me as a part of my, I call it my um, my kingdom of God job description. So I've got a lot of different things I do in life, but um, my kingdom of God job description, I think part of it is is saying things that people need to hear a pastor say. So, yeah. you know, what do people need to hear a pastor say? Well, some people, frankly, they probably don't care too much what a pastor has to say. But for <laughs> other folks, uh, there's maybe a sense of a spiritual authority they give to pastors. And so they'll they'll take what I say differently than other people. But I think who I'm really thinking about are the people who it was a person in a role like mine that created the fear or the stigma in the first place. So I think emotional health and um, therapy and medication is an example where uh, many people whose stories that have told me their story have shared, you know, a pastor or a spiritual mentor or a youth leader at their youth group, whatever it was, you know, encourage them just to pray more and not to talk to a counselor or never brought up the idea that there's a Christian, Christian counselors or some of that. And that that led them to so many years of pain and not having support in ways that they could have um, or like re- ma- making that stigma worse. And so, f- so you can have 10 therapists or 10 friends that aren't pastors say, no, it's a good thing. You should give it a try. But there's something about undoing what was done by someone in a role like mine 
that I can offer when I'm just sharing my own story, you know? And so I think, I think there's another subject that comes up a lot like that is um, just abuse and things like that. And how many times, um, because I've heard so many people's stories, how many times when I say, Hey, if you're in an abusive situation, you can get out of it. And, and that there is no requirement to stay in an abusive situation and not get help because of Christian marriage or something like that. You know, I, I very much value marriage, but I very much value human beings not being abused as well. And so they've, people had either explicitly or implicitly heard a pastor say something like that. And so, you know, even in, in state curious, I sneak that in there, like you can get out, you know, because I just feel like sometimes when it was a pastor that said, or made you think that you needed to stay in a hurtful situation, then a pastor saying, Al, that, that's fine that they said that, but as a pastor, I disagree. That can be really powerful, I think, in a different way. And so, you know, I think it's just a matter of of me kind of saying, okay, well, what's the value of me sharing this? So the value of me sharing my own time in therapy is that it brings down a stigma that a lot of people feel, and it's not about shock or trying to be a good storyteller. It's just about being real and knowing that that, that genuine reality and authenticity can set other people free. That's kind of the rubrics that I look through in, in sharing a story. If I ever feel like I'm just going to get like a, oh, that's interesting, then I don't know. That's not really worth it necessarily, <laughs> um, giving like the shock factor or some sort of, uh, you know, when people are going to be walking away confused. That's never the goal. It's always, it, what I always think about is, is this going to help people be set free in their own journey, their own story and pursue Jesus and see Jesus as the center of, of what they're trying to figure out in their life and as true north, as I often say as they are on this journey trying to figure out which way to go. That's a beautiful and powerful uh, reason that is really behind there. And it, it brings up the idea of community as well. Mm-hmm. That's subtly present throughout Stay Curious. It's not strongly emphasized in any particular chapter, but threaded mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole book. It reminds me of one of the illustrations that you used of weaving a tapestry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely wanted people to feel that there is sometimes a permission that they need to have to say, is there a better space for me as far as faith communities go? And, you know, even when people venture out of my faith community, which, you know, of course happens at times, um, we, we actually try to have a really intentional conversation with them because honestly, my biggest my biggest question for them is, then are you going to find another place though? Are you going to find another space that can hold the things that you need people to hold if we weren't that space for you? Yeah. Um, because I do think that that community is so key and so important. You know, it's, yeah. it's not that I think worship services or church buildings, my church doesn't even have a building, you know, church buildings and all that stuff. It's not, that's not the point, but what is the, what is the, the space of community that's going to help you hold those questions and tensions and and then even maybe a, a, a little bit deeper than just um, community itself, but what I refer to in the book as process-oriented relationships. Yeah. And so what, you know, you could use that term and you say, so you mean a small group leader? Sure. You mean a counselor? Yeah. <laughs> Do you mean a mentor? Sure. Like someone who's saying, I see you as a person who's in process and we're going to be on a journey together and I'm going to come in and out of your life. Maybe it's really regularly, you know, discipleship group leader every week. Maybe it's a mentor you connect with once a month or you stay in touch over online, but those relationships are so critical for growth. I personally don't see much growth in my own life without a connection to those types of process-oriented relationships. I always have a mentor, a spiritual director, uh, people who are keeping me going in those processes because that's the way I really do see growth in my life. And so I, you know, I, it feels like 
almost like impossible for me to write everything that I wrote without the the weaving of community through it. Um, and you know, there's a couple of places where I specifically talk about the church or talk about friendships, but yeah, I probably say like, this might be good to talk to a counselor, a therapist, or a mentor about like 14 times <laughs> in the yeah. middle there, because I just really think it's so critical. And these types of conversations can really pull us very far inward. Um, but, and that's okay. But what does it look like to say that we weren't created to stay in that, in that, you know, individualistic space, which is common for our kind of perspective and worldview um, in that, in our way of thinking in our, both of our cultures, I think pretty individualistic, but, but how do we see that we, we, we understand ourselves as we, in relation to other people, um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, my theology would be, that's why God is father, son, and spirit created in community. We can't really bear the image of God alone. And so while some of this journey might be a little bit um, private for some folks at times, what does it look like to, to find courage and step back towards other people? Or what does it look like to do that process with others? And some folks won't be able to do that with you. Maybe they won't, maybe their anxiety around questions is just too much. But I, I do think that if people are, are persistent, they can find the folks that are safe, that they'll be able to journey through these questions with. And that's really important in my mind. Yeah, uh, just reminded of, of you have a large de-churched portion mm-hmm. of, of your congregation a- and we do too. And that was something that we were very intentional about when we planted was thinking for people that have cut themselves off from the church intentionally, mm-hmm. but still mm-hmm. very much consider themselves followers of Jesus for us to be able to welcome them back into the body and see them reconnect into the faith community we very much felt like an amputee does when they feel phantom Mm, pain mm. people that have disconnected is is like the limb that is gone and we feel that pain even when it's not there um that's a really powerful image i have never thought about it that way but that's absolutely what it feels like yeah and and we long for it to come back and we can Mm -hmm. do no more than to say we accept you. Right. We're here for you. We we want to join with you. Yeah, absolutely. In many ways, you've talked about churches as cars, and I love this part in your book. Um, it's such a great metaphor that you bring up. But knowing that that some people may not have, have read Stay Curious, can you run me through that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I've just been, you know, so influenced by, you know, some of, some of your guys, like... Um, Alan Hirsch and others who talked about the missional movement early on. And, and to me, it really captivated me, this idea of the church is going somewhere, you know, the church yeah. is on the move. It's yeah. joining in this mission that God is, is about. And so uh, just really, you know, jumped into that understanding. And um, so I often picture the church, like a vehicle, like the, a vehicle that is going somewhere together, <laughs> whether we're doing that as individuals, groups, families, and a large community, the church big C, you know, we are, we're going together somewhere. And um, so that's what gave me this idea of thinking about church shopping and looking for a church as a vehicle, you know, what, well, when you go to look for a new car, you know, what do you do? What are you looking for? And it's so interesting because everybody's really looking for something different and that's how they end up with these different vehicles. Um, But I was just encouraging like, well, there's some things that might be the most important in my perspective when it comes to looking for a vehicle, but you might you might be first looking at certain things. So does this, does this have Apple CarPlay or what's the speakers like in here? Are these, are these Bose speakers or these, you know, and you turn up the radio when you're taking a test drive, 
and that's a good question, you know, and like what radio stations are we playing? And uh, you might look at and say, well, how comfortable are these seats? And, you know, do I have enough cup holders for my <laughs> beverages? And you can kind of see the, the, the metaphor of like the things people might look for in a church and, you know, did, is the, is this, who are the people that are in here with me? And then maybe you get a little deeper and you ask questions like, well, how safe is this vehicle? You know, are there some good, you know, seatbelts and what's the safety rating? And that's a really important question right now because a lot yeah. of people have felt so hurt by faith communities that is this a safe place is a really should, I think, be a top question when it comes to to, to looking for a faith community and, and maybe a more important one than how good the speakers are, you know, are they, are they playing, you know, the sound, sound quality, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, but I just encourage people to say, okay, you know, when it comes down to it, maybe one of the more important questions that we're asking is where is this going? Where is this vehicle going? Is this, are we just getting out in the same place we got in or every time we are participating, not just on Sunday mornings or, worship services. But as we participate with our faith community, do we get out for a stretch break and look around and realize we have gone somewhere? We are going in a, in a direction. We're getting somewhere. And um, I think that's just a really important question because a lot of times, maybe even this shift we started out talking with going into a post-Christian space is people realizing this isn't taking me anywhere. I'm going in and out of this place and it's, you know, it's, I'm not anywhere that I was when I got in and, and what's the point, you know? Yeah. And um, I think there should be an answer to what's the point. And I think it has to do with getting getting somewhere together. And when you're going somewhere, you're going to be more likely to say, well, I got to stay in this car with this person next to me who I don't really like that much because we, if I get out now, we're not going to be where we need to be. Um, certainly, if you're going to be going somewhere, you might hit some rough patches. So that seatbelt and that safety might actually be even more important than you thought. And uh, not just about, you know, safety from you know, mildly, but you following Jesus, you might end up in some off-roading for sure, you know? So just kind of thinking of it in that image, I think really can change the perspective of like, well, what, what are we looking for here? And of course, I understand that someone might want to make sure that a church has preaching that connects with them or worship that feels genuine, kids ministry that matters for their children. Of course, like that, that, those things all make a lot of sense. However, all those boxes can be checked, you know, so to speak. And and the question still remains, like, what was the point? What are we doing? And is this getting us where God's leading us? Is this community looking to follow Jesus as the leader of the church? You know, I often say in my church, you know, Jesus is the leader of the church. And, you know, I'm a lead pastor, but I don't see it as a lead pastor, like a top of a, um, you know, hierarchical mountain, but more yeah. like a tip of an arrow that's going in a direction and right in front, you know, right in the heels of the Holy Spirit. And, and the folks that are leading with me are, you know, right next to me saying, what is the spirit doing and how do we join in? And, um, you know, I can't tell people where we're going to go though, either. They want to know, well, what's the destination? And I say, well, I don't know, <laughs> Just yeah. get in and buckle up and we're going to keep following. And, you know, my church has never had a strategic plan or, you know, any of that. And some people would just say, how could you possibly do that? I said, well, I don't know, but for, for 13 years, we've just said, what's God doing and how do we join in and have a lot of people who have, who feel the the weight and the responsibility of asking that question together, not just me or a few leaders, but the whole community, really. And um, that, to me, I think just changes the conversation a little bit when it comes to what you might be looking for in a in a faith community. Um, if you, if people do feel like they need to make a switch, or if they're willing to to head back in after a, a hiatus, you know. Um, I love it because you also talk about Jesus being the driver as well. Right. So I was, I was thinking about this whole metaphor, what struck me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, but even the churches that um, 
are like exactly what you're describing, where they're going somewhere with Jesus as the driver. He still drops people off just for a little Mm -hmm. bit, but he drops them off empowered and challenges them to see what he's up to in the world, in the place where they are and to join with him. And, And they're never away from where he can see them. So to me, that's kind of something really special. Whereas if you're in the the bus that kind of circles around the block and drops you off at the same spot, then practicing your faith in a everyday life context makes you almost look towards the bus, making sure that you can keep the bus in your side at all times during the week um, rather than the bus driver. Right. Um, and I know that I've probably extended that metaphor a bit further than, than where you took it, but I'd, I'd love to hear your just quick reflection on that as well. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of just the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus yeah. is the driver and says, all right, get out, get out. My spirit's doing something. Go find, <laughs> go find out <laughs> and yeah. uh, meet back here and whatever. And we'll keep going. <laughs> see you. Yeah. See you. And we'll get in the, we'll get in the, bus together get in the van I I think I described my church as a a 15 passenger van with no air conditioning and uh you know we're gonna we're gonna keep going but go find out what my spirit's doing come back let's talk about it let's share the story and then let's drive again I love that I think that's that's what you see Jesus doing in his ministry you know sending out them the disciples by twos and saying come back and then they're all sharing the stories of what they saw happen and some of the things that probably didn't go as well as they thought and why couldn't we cast those demons out and what happened here and Jesus engages with them and then they go along together again. So yeah, I think it fits the, fits the metaphor really well. Just, you know, but, but yeah, absolutely. If it's, if it's, I'm just going to get out of the same spot every week uh, without any new questions about what the Holy Spirit might be doing in my life. You know, personally, I would not go. Like, I just wouldn't yeah. do it. I just, it just the sake of like seeing there's so many ways to have community and friendship. If we're not doing anything together, you know, I just don't know if I would, I don't know if I personally would, would, prioritize it at least so I can see why some folks are really stopping not not prioritizing it when it doesn't seem like there's a sense of of depth and meaning behind why would we would need each other in the first place incidentally on an on uh, the car story when I went to uh my school reunion one guy turned up in his Lamborghini everyone was going oh wow look at look at his car he's really made it that's so good yeah and I'm there going Look, you haven't made it till you've got a Kia minivan like mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on your definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there thinking, look, he's got the nice car, but there's no way that he could fit my kids in it. Nope. And you're like, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Yeah, that's right. You wear many hats. You're a pastor. You're a podcaster. You write blogs sometimes. So. How do you fit in the time to write the book as well? Oh man, that's a good question. Well, speaking of kids, me and my husband don't have any kids. So that's probably one of the reasons I have a little more free time than a lot of other pastors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think Fridays and Saturdays, that's those are my days off. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that family folks who have got little kids that those are pretty occupied with fun activities and, you know, family stuff. And I, I've had a lot of kids in my life, including my niece and nephew, who I spend a lot of time with, but certainly the uninterrupted uninterrupted time to write is not a as tough for me as it is for other people. Um, but I think, you know, I've really found it to be very life-giving. I know that's not the case for everybody. For me, not knowing what it would be like to write until I wrote this book, I really have found it to be very um, 
life-giving. So instead of coming back from a, t- a day where I, you know, go find a coffee shop or someplace to write, I don't come back depleted. I come back energized. And so I've really seen that as such a blessing. And I, I kind of just uh, actually like relish that time. Like, I'm just going to block that off and say, well, I've got this deadline, everybody. Sorry, I got to go do this. And it's been really healthy for me. Um, and, and I think that it's just, just not quite the same as the other type of stuff that I do. It's not the same as writing sermons and um, writing blogs or podcasting or teaching and the things that I do. It, it's a different, it fills a different bucket in my life. And I, I have to say, I'm a little surprised by that. I didn't see that coming. I'm very extroverted. So the time that I spend with other people is really meaningful to me. But uh, this has been a, a pleasant surprise that this time of alone time writing has been really meaningful. And then I, I also write really fast too. So uh, my brain just keeps going and I can't, I almost can't type as fast as I'm thinking about something. So I have to like outline it all. And then I just start writing and, you know, I can write a chapter in a couple hours, but I do need that like completely uninterrupted time. So it's actually the, I can write really fast once I get into the space where I'm writing, but I, fighting for that space is the, is the tough thing. <laughs> yeah. So what's next up for you? I know that you've got another book coming out next year. Yeah, this book is called Make a Move, How to Make Decisions and or How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. That's what it's called. And I actually, some of my friends in Australia said that, you know, it's not always, you know, quite on Amazon and everything when you when you guys all have it. So she said that it's on some other things. Like she said, it's called Kurong. Does that make sense to you? Yep. There's books on there for Christian books. So it's all ready for presale there. You can find it already. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think book depository and some other things, but eventually it'll be on Amazon there too. And, um, I, I, I don't know totally why books are already on presale, even though it doesn't technically come out till May, 2021, but it's all written it's all ready to go, but I don't know why there's such a big gap. That's just the way it is, I guess, but I'm very excited for this book to come out because, you know, it's, it's really the topic of discernment. So the word discernment isn't in the, in the title or the subtitle, which we decided not to, but if you if if you want to know like the subject of the book, it's spiritual discernment. How do you actually make decisions as a Jesus follower? And how does the Holy Spirit interact with you in ways that helps you to discern the bigger questions down to the smaller questions in life? And um, just this putting that theology of listening and responding to God, putting some skin on it and telling stories and my own story of discerning and as, as well. I think the opening to the book, the, the teaser is the opening to the book is the one experience that I've had having a panic attack. Right, <laughs> and it was about a decision that I had to make. So yeah. <laughs> that's how I opened the book. And you know, I think I think it's similar. It's it's my story. It's something that I care about. I've had thousands of conversations about decision making and what does faith have to do with it? What does Jesus have to do with it? What what does it mean to follow the Holy Spirit? And just getting really practical, uh, using the concept of of experimenting and how to listen and respond and experiment and try things and taking the, the model that we see in the book of Acts of what seems good to us in the Holy Spirit and, you know, kind of keep uh, discernment through movement, which is why it's called Make a Move. So yeah, so that book's coming out and I've um, got a couple other ideas for books that I'd love to write. So maybe, maybe as we're still in the pandemic for however much longer here, especially in the U.S., maybe I'll, I'll put out another one, you know, type out another one while I've got the free time and can't, go, can't, can't come to Australia like I planned on doing this month uh, pre- previous. So without the travel, it, it opens up a lot of time to write too. 
Yep. And I guess as a pastor as well, who doesn't have any strategic plans or anything like that, (laughs) who could be better to write a book on discernment? Yeah, right. You'd think that somebody with the strategic plan experience would, but yeah, it's, it's the same theology. It's rooted in the same theology that our church is modeled after as well. And and I, uh, it just really makes sense. And it's been a really powerful experience for us as a church to follow that way of leading the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, my, I've got an amazing team in my church too. So I will say that that's part of the reason I have time to write as well, because I have an awesome staff team that are just excellent. They've responded to this crisis uh, with, with the pandemic. And then, you know, on the heels of that, the crisis and the uprising from George Floyd's murder, which happened here a couple miles from my house, um, we've had a lot of pivoting to do. And my team has been incredible. So that's another reason that I've been able to to actually spend the time focused on writing. I wrote most of Make a Move since the pandemic started. So it's been it's been an interesting time. Yeah, wow. Sounds like an awful lot of of really crazy and hectic things that you guys have been going through. Yeah, yeah, it has been it's been a lot. And I'm sure most people resonate with that uh in their different different places that they're in. And I mean never before have I felt like my friends in the UK and my friends in Australia and friends in the US are all kind of wrestling through the same realities, both the pandemic and the, the the questions around racial justice. So that's, it's been a really interesting thing. We're so isolated as individuals because we can't interact for safety reasons, obviously, but yet we're so connected in the sense that the crises that we're facing are global in a way that I've never experienced in my life. So it's been a really interesting and meaningful time in my mind. Not a good one, not an easy one, but meaningful nonetheless. Yeah. And so what encouragements would you then have to people that have questions of God? Because as these issues have come up with uh, racial tensions and the pandemic, it's natural that people have questions. Um, Absolutely. So what encouragement would you offer to them? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would just say is I just think it's very normal. <laughs> and yeah. when, when you're in that, it just feels like you're the only one and nobody else is in the space that you were in. And maybe no one in your close circle is that, that might be true, but you're not alone. It is totally normal for someone who's, who's thoughtful and intelligent to wonder about things that is normal. And then I think I would just say, you know, even if there's people in your life who can't really stay present with you, with your questions, because that's true. You know, people, people sometimes can't handle the anxiety that comes up in us. It brings up anxiety in their life. You know, that, that makes sense, but Jesus can handle your anxiety and Jesus can handle your question. Your anxiety, like, you know, doesn't make Jesus anxious (laughs) and, you know, the person of Jesus and the relationship we can have through the Holy spirit. You know, I, I know there's a lot of questions or even around that, but I just encourage people to say, look, this, this guy asked more questions than he gave answers but yet he is the one with the answers. And so if we can, we might not be able to trust everyone else or be able to, to, to let people hold all the questions we have in life. But I, I truly believe there's, there's no question that Jesus can't handle. There's nothing that's going to, to overwhelm the Holy Spirit just as much as that might be the case with other people. So, so that's my biggest encouragement to people is, you know, even if you've got questions about who Jesus is, I get that too, but he can even handle the questions about his own existence. And so uh, I think it can be a real opportunity to say, cut away all the other things and just say, can I bring these questions to Jesus? Um, I think of the story of Nicodemus. 
and he brings all these questions to Jesus at night. And so maybe some of us just need to get some space from whoever we're housemates with right now and just bring those questions to Jesus and uh, trust him with them and see what happens. Yeah, that's so good. Well, thanks so much, Pastor Steph. It's been such an awesome time to have sit down and have a conversation with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Steph O'Brien's book, Stay Curious, is available now and Make a Move will be released in May 2021. You can find Steph online at pastorsteph.com and the Lead Stories podcast. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I'd love it if you subscribed or left a review too. And I'll see you next time. Bye now.